Good morning, sons and daughters of the Most High God. I'm glad you're here today. We're continu continuing our journey in Acts chapter 4, the book of Acts. We're talking about fortitude, F-O-U-R, fortitude. For you teachers, I know I'm not spelling it right, okay? Several teachers in the room this morning, so it's fortitude, four things that God asks of us, just four. Love God, love yourself, love others, and love creation. You can take the whole Bible and boil it down to those four things, everything that God wants us to do is fortitude. And we're looking at how the first disciples, the first followers of Jesus, acted and lived with fortitude. So I want to share a story this morning that I just heard about just a few minutes ago, but we all know uh, Eric and Mandy in our church and Eli, and Eli was born with uh, all kind of complications and has been through a lot of surgeries. Uh, and <clears throat> this past week, uh, Eric and Mandy uh, connected with another family whose child is going through the almost exact same thing. And so they came this morning for our time of singing, time of praise, and they left to go to the hospital to meet with this family for the first time to share their story of the last uh, five or six years of, of their walk uh, with this family to minister to them with fortitude. Isn't that great? That's what it's about, it's ministering with fortitude. And, and that's all God asks of us, right? That's, that's, that's the bottom of what he asks of us. There may be some other things that come along, but that's the bottom line of what God asks, is that we just live life loving God, loving ourselves, loving others, and loving his creation. So let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, and let's see what the disciples were up to Verse 32, verse 32. <clears throat> now, you know, the last couple of chapters was about the man that was healed and the Pharisees didn't like it and they were complaining about it. And, and we wind up in verse 31, it says, and they prayed and the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's kind of the takeoff to the next, to the next part of the scripture. So in verse 32, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, let's stop right there. How many, how many of you know somebody that you're in one heart and one mind with that's a believer? Do you have that one person that you know that you can sit down and talk about anything with and that you are completely in union with where, where God's concerned? Do you have that person in your life? Okay, I see a lot of heads shaking. Uh, it's important to have that one person kids, teenagers, it's important to have that one person that you can talk to about the Lord uh, in your life. It's important. Find that person now if you can. Well, the believers had one person, more than one person, and they were all in one heart and one mind. Now, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but shared everything they had. Once again, another powerful principle here. Now, this is not talking about some form of socialism. That's not what it's saying here. What it's saying is, if one of the disciples had 10 pairs of shoes and their neighbor didn't have any shoes, that disciple said, here, have a pair of my shoes. It was, what do you need? How, how can I help you? And once again, that's living a life of fortitude. We need to look at our neighbors next door, across the street, wherever we find ourselves. And if, and if they don't have a pair of shoes and we've got 10, we, we need to give them a pair of shoes. We, we have a teenager in our church that has done that on several occasions. Someone's needed a pair of shoes. And he's given them a pair of shoes. I'm very proud of that young man. Literally gave them his pair of shoes. God wants us to live our lives that way. So when you're out and about, if you're out shopping or somewhere, keep an eye out for how God wants to use you. I was paying an electric bill 
uh, at the electric center one day. And this lady was up there, and she was trying to pay her bill. She didn't have enough money to pay her bill. And I was standing there saying, okay, should I step in? And she had to run out to the car to get a few more dollars to pay it. And I was thinking, well, should I step in and pay that? I don't know. And, and, I, and I paused. I hesitated. I hesitated. And she came back in and paid her bill. I kicked myself as many times as I could going back to the car. I had a chance. Had, I had a narrow opportunity to jump in there. And, and pay your bill. So the next time that happened, I didn't, I didn't hesitate. I jumped right in and paid somebody's bill. And that's what fortitude asks of us. It asks us to not hesitate. If the Spirit says, jump in there and pay that, pay it forward, pay for that person behind you's food or coffee or whatever, that's a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit directing us. And that's what these disciples were doing right here. They, they weren't hesitating about what they owned, giving it away to someone who had need. Now, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. Let me ask you a question. If I were to ask anybody in this room to come up here right now, Milan, I'm not going to do it, but if I were to ask you to come up here, because you're, you're bigger than I am, but if I were to ask you to come up here and testify to the resurrection, could you do it? Could you do it? Could you come up here and tell all of us this morning what the resurrection means to you? What, what it meant to Jesus, what it meant to God. Could you testify to what the crucifixion meant to Jesus and to the Father? What does it mean to us today? Right? For the Father, he lost his son, right? His son died and, and rose again. For the Father, he put all the sins, all of your sin, sickness, sorrow, everything in your life, everything bad in your life, God put in Jesus Christ when he hung on the cross. He put everything. Everything bad you can think of, all the wars and everything, that was put into Jesus Christ and he died on the cross for our sins. And so the Father's sitting there saying, I, I put everything on my son. You know, the Bible says that at the ninth hour, 3 o'clock, it got real dark before Jesus died. And my pastor used to say when I was a teenager, <clears throat> he said he thought it was God pulling the curtain down so he wouldn't have to see his son suffer and die because of all the sin that was placed upon him. I'm not saying that's true or anything, but the father saw his son take the sin upon himself. That's what the crucifixion means. What did it mean for Jesus? It meant him demonstrating the absolute fullness of his love for us. Absolute. I love you this much, Janice. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to take all of your sins. I'm going to die on the cross. Right? That's what it meant for Jesus. What does it mean for you? And could you stand up here and testify to what that means for you this morning? Well, the apostles and the disciples were going everywhere testifying about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. <clears throat> and much grace was upon them all. Now, what is grace? Uh, someone says God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Maybe you've seen that. God's riches at Christ's expense. I think grace is the anointing of God that comes into our lives that helps us to deal with a situation that we couldn't deal with otherwise. So you're at work. And there's somebody there that you don't care for. Anybody ever had that happen in your life, in your work life, and want to admit it? Anybody? Okay, one person's being honest, the rest of you are not. Okay, right. You've had that one person, right? It was like just that grain of sand, or that, that, that rock in your shoe, just wherever you went. 
that bamboo under the fingernails, right? There was something about that. But you managed. You managed to go. That's when you ask for God to give you the grace to manage through that. And his grace is that anointing that comes on you to begin to see what that person's really like. The psalmist said in Psalm 73, he said, I looked around and the rich were getting richer. The poor were getting poorer. The rich never got sick. The poor were always sick. Their houses fell in. The rich folks' houses didn't fall in. He was complaining to God on and on and on. And somewhere around verse 17, he said, until, until, until I stood in the presence of God Almighty himself. And I looked at them and saw who they really were. Grace allows us to see a person for who they really are. Not what's going on around them. Not the struggles that have brought them to where they are. We don't know somebody's life. We, we really don't know people. You may, you may think you know the people you work with, but as the song <coughs> says, no one knows what goes on behind closed doors, and it's so true. Nobody knows the terror, the trauma that people are going through. But grace allows us, God's favor, his, his anointing on us allows us to see somebody and say, that person's a real pain. But that person needs to know Jesus and that God loves that person. You see, here's, here's the principle, right? God's at work in everybody's life all the time, all around the world, trying to convince them that he loves them, <coughs> right? So overriding principle in the whole Bible, God's at work in everybody's life. Grace allows us to see how God's at work in their life and to step into their life and say, I'm here to help you. I would like to help. How can I help you? What, what do you need? That's what grace allows us to do. And so the Bible says great grace was on them. And that's why the church was growing was because people were looking at someone else through the eyes of grace and saying, God, how can I help this person? What, what do I have that they need? You know, Peter and John, when they walked up to the temple to heal the guy, you know, in Acts chapter 3, 4, following that we studied, they said, silver and gold I don't have. I don't, I don't have what you want in your can. But what I do have, you coins you want you can i don't have that but what i do have is get up and walk be healed after 40 years of not being able to walk get up and walk this is what i've got for you and god's favor and his grace will be on you to give people what they need at the time they most need it i had a great time this week blessing people in the name of jesus everywhere i went and i've told you this before i'll tell you it again you know when you're walking out of a store and they got the greeter either in as you're leaving or coming wherever it may be, the person behind the cash register. And we're all apt to say, have a great day and walk off. Square up to a person. Brenda, just square up to him like this, just like this. And when you say, have a great day, say, I hope you have a great day too. Is there any way I can pray for you today? I love looking him in the eye and say, God wants me to tell you you're his favorite today. And they're, they're stunned. They're just stunned. Some of them will come back, well, I think we're all his favorite. And I said, well, that's true, but you're his favorite today. When you square it with somebody and look them in the eye, that's when God's grace comes upon you. When you just say, have a nice day and walk off, you're not going to experience that. Square up with somebody. Don't turn sideways. Don't walk off. Square up and look them in the eye. And say whatever God puts in your heart to say. Now, there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, 
whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I've experienced this one time in, in my ministry, a church that I started over in North Carolina years ago. We were, um, we had been in borrowed buildings. We were in a classroom of a college, and from the classroom of the college, we outgrew that and we moved across town to a gymnasium of another church. It was gracious to let us use their gymnasium. We set up 400 chairs every Sunday, you know, the fold-out kind, every Sunday. Put them back on the racks and rolled them in. Set up all the sound equipment and everything, the stage, uh, for about three years. And this big warehouse came available. It's a 25,000-square-foot warehouse. It was mostly empty, just had a few things on the floor, mostly empty. And the gentleman said he would let us rent it. We didn't. We had 200 college students running 400 people, so we didn't have a whole lot of money, right, to, to, to build a building with. So we thought we'll rent. So it's a better use of God's money. So the gentleman that was going to let us rent his warehouse and, and renovate it, build walls and so forth, uh, said he would charge us uh, $5,000 a month to rent 25,000 square feet, which at the time was, seemed like a good bargain for us for all the other buildings that were avail- or weren't available or were available. And so we talked about it a little bit. He called us back later and said, well, I don't think I can charge you quite that much. We said, fine, you just come up with a price. And so he willed it down to 4000 And then as we were continuing to work on the building, it was down to 3000 This is before we ever occupied it. And so we finally got in the building. And the first Sunday after the service was over with, it was, of course, it was packed and everybody was worshiping the Lord. He came up to me and said, I, I can't charge y'all that kind of money. He said, how about $1,000 a month? Will that be okay? I said, that'll be fine. He said, and what if I pay the utilities? I said, Mr. Delinger, that'd be great. You, you could, that'd be just great. So we started that Sunday, and that started to cascade. And I didn't preach on money. I didn't ask for money. We didn't, take, we didn't do the big offering buckets or anything. We didn't do any of that. And y'all know me. Y'all have known me for eight years now. I don't do that. We just simply passed the offering plates and said, give as the Lord tells you to give, right? That's how we did that. And so uh, that started that Sunday. The following Sunday, he showed up, the owner showed up again, and wrote a check for 40 grand. He said, I want to help pay for some of this renovation. Y'all, y'all worked hard on my building, and I ought to pay for it. We had, we, had, we had cleaned it up. I mean, it was pretty. And so I told that story to the congregation. Well, that got him excited. The following week, this lady came forward and said, uh, I want to give my, I want to cash my IRA out and give it to you. About $5,000. So she cast our, cashed it out and gave it to us. She paid the taxes, right? You had to pay taxes if you cashed those things out early and the penalty and all that. Put that in the offering plate. The following week, somebody left some jewelry in the offering plate they wanted to give to the Lord. We had coins, silver coins that were left in the offering plate. <clears throat> One Sunday, we had this gentleman. He had never been to our church before. And uh, he showed up, came to church service. He knew of our church, knew some people in our church. And he walked up to me afterwards. We had an invitation where people took communion. They, they walked down forward to take communion in that particular setting. And he walked down and met me and handed me a set of car keys. He said, I entered a raffle for a 96 Mustang, whatever the year was. And, and I won last night. And I was praying and God told me to come to your church, not his church. He said, God told me to come to this church and hand you the keys to this car. For y'all to use, sell, whatever you want to do with it. Handed me the car keys. Thank you very much. I put those in the offering plate. A couple of weeks later, this man came to our church. He said, uh, 
He said, I've got two pieces of property I want to give you. Extreme makeover type houses that were run down in a run down neighborhood. And he said, if I give them to my church, they're just going to sell them and pocket the cash. He said, I know that you and your church will do something good with them. So he handed us the deeds, right, of, of two houses. And we rehabbed them and gave them away. We didn't sell them. We, we gave them. We, there was an agency in town that, uh, that found the right person for us. We didn't have anything to do with that. And then we, we put a family in there, a mom with uh, two kids. And we built on two bedrooms, so they're about to have a bedroom. It, it was a lot of fun. It just kept going on and on and on like that. Um, the owner came back and wrote another check for 40 grand and said, I just want to add some more to this. There was a, a doctor in town that, that uh, wrote a check for 25000 and just dropped in the plate. And I think I told you this story, but he called me to his, his office one day, and he said, I want you to come by and see me. So I went over, he cracked me a couple of times. He really wanted to get a hold of me, I think that's what it was. Straightened my neck out, and that was great. He said, uh, I want to give you something. He gave me a, a blank check that he had signed. No number, just his signature. He said, I want you to go home and pray about it, and I want you to fill this out. He said, call me uh, when you fill the number out. I said, okay. Nobody had ever done that to me before. Right? Anybody ever done that to y'all before? You don't know how to act. I didn't know how to act. I was like, I was frozen. So I went home and prayed about it, and I thought, well, you know, 5000 sounds like a lot of money. But he is a doctor, and uh, he's driving a Hummer, so he's got money, right? Driving the Hummer five or six, whatever the big one was. And so uh, $5,000, right? I called him up. I said, Doc, this is what I've written it for. He said, come out and see me. Bring the check. Said, okay. I'm in trouble. I thought he was going to crack me some more, right? So he, I handed the check back. He tore it up. I'm like, man, I'm in real trouble now. He said, uh, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. I want you to write a check for what the church needs in this particular moment. And I, and I really want you to write a check. I said, okay. So I went home and prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it and got all sweaty and everything. I wrote the check for $25,000. And I called him up and I said, this is what I've done. He said, come by and see me. So I came by to see him and he let, he let me hold the check in my hand. He said, now you're starting to think you're writing checks on God's checkbook, not yours. Nobody's ever done that to me before. Never had that experience before. He let me keep it. We cashed it and we used it for great ministry to, to help people. When we redid these houses, um, we went and bought all the stuff like the light fixtures and the toilet and you know, things. Whatever you need in a house, right? Think about a bare house with nothing in it. And we, we bought it all, and we put it in the back of the church building because we had some area back there and with price tags on it of what it cost us, right? And so that morning service, I said, now after the service is over with, you're going to get a chance to buy the stuff that goes in the house. And it's right back there on the table. It's got the price. You can just, you can just put your money on there. What are you going to do? Man, within 10 minutes, everything was bought. I mean, people were fighting. That's, gonna be, that's my light bulb. I'm buying that light bulb, you know. People just, the whole thing was paid for by the generosity of people. They just, just like in the New Testament, they just kept bringing stuff, bringing stuff. That went on for weeks and weeks and months and months and, and several years of, of people who were just blessed, and they blessed the church. So I've seen that. I've seen what happened here. I can imagine the excitement that was taking place here. That that had probably never happened here before. 
in this small little town, something amazing happened. And I want to skip to chapter 5, verse 12. We'll, we'll come back to chapter 5, the Ananias and Sapphira story later. But this is just a continuation of how God's at work when people act with fortitude. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. This is chapter 5, verse 12. Among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Remember, that's the front porch. We talked about that several weeks ago. It was the front porch of the temple. Solomon's colonnade, that was front porch of the temple they gathered at the front porch no one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people nevertheless more and more men and women believed in the lord and were added to their number as a result people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by just just the presence of god and peter apparently was enough to heal some people That's the grace I talked about a moment ago. I just want to bring that full circle for us this morning. The grace that you carry, the Jesus that you carry, your mere presence in a room can change the atmosphere of the room. Did you know that? When you're full of the Holy Spirit, when you're you're crying out to God day in and day out for Him to use you and to bless others through you, when you're asking for that, listen, when you walk in a room, people know it. People just walk, Peter's just walking down the street. And folks are jumping up off the mat. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because of the presence of God in Peter's life. You know, I pray often for our congregation that we would all, myself included, have that kind of presence in our lives. That as we just go about our day in the classroom, at the car lot, wherever it is, we go about our day, that the presence of God brings people back to life, restores them, heals them, sets them free. You know, most everybody I know is or has been in a valley of dry bones, as it says in the Old Testament. Remember that story, the valley of dry bones? And God spoke to Ezekiel and said, prophesy to these dry bones that they would come back to life, right? That God's breath would come back into them. I think all of us know somebody, and you even may be one of those people, that's in that valley of dry bones right now. You know what I notice about valleys? What I notice about valleys is that's where the river is. That's where the the vegetables are growing. That's where the fruit trees are. That's where the lush green grass is. We talk about I'm down in the valley. I like the valleys. There's a lot of there's a lot of resources there. We need, we need to change the way we think about the valleys. Mountaintops, kind of dry. Do what? Yeah. You know, they're kind of dry. I mean, you can see a long way. That's great. You see a lot of things. That, but when you're in the valley, that's a chance to grow. Right? It's a chance to grow. And the valley of dry bones, the bones were dry. The, the valley can bring life to them. The valley can bring life to us. God wants us walking around, giving life with our words, with our deeds. Crowds gathered, verse 16, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and a few of them were healed. Is that what it says in the scripture? 
Oh, you need to take that scripture down and change that all. That's, in the Greek, it just says only a couple of people were healed. So could you back it down on the screen? Thank you. I appreciate that, Jennifer. She's going to change that for us. Isn't that how we live? We just, think, we just think a few people get healed or a few people get changed. We don't think it'll ever happen to us. But it can. We don't, we don't think it. We, well, God will fix somebody else, but why won't he fix me? He can. Bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. All of them were healed. Let me ask you this morning. What do you need to be healed from? And what do you need to be healed to? Right? What's, what's the next thing God has planned for your life? And he wants to heal this here in this moment to move you to that next moment. What is it you need healing for? Would you just cry out to God in your heart and in your mind right now for that? God, I, I want to be that and then ask him for that and just simply say thank you just simply say thank you God wants to resurrect dry bones this morning and all week long will you let him let's pray Father thank you so much thank you so much for the scripture of how generosity flowed through your disciples Father, I pray that generosity would flow through us in every way, not just money and possessions, Father, but in every way. Let us be generous to our, our neighbor. Let us, let us love our neighbor, Father, as we love ourselves and be generous to them in, in whatever that looks like, whether it's words or deeds or, or shoes or food or clothes or prayer or just an encouraging word. Just an encouraging word. So Holy Spirit, come have your way with us right now. Stir in our hearts what it is that you want, what it is that will bring you glory. Father, stir in our hearts right now. Uh, faith, just a little measure of faith that you can bring dry bones back to life again in our own lives. Just give us that little grain of mustard seed faith we need to believe that this morning and Holy Spirit put someone in our heart and mind this week that we need to go and talk to and encourage give us their name show us their face tell us where we must go to find them but come Holy Spirit have your way reveal Jesus to us and through us Father, I pray that there's someone here that is not trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would this morning and simply say, yes, Jesus, yes. And Holy Spirit, for those struggling, I just pray you would pour out a measure of encouragement into their lives right now. Just pour out encouragement and strengthen them, Father, and restore them. For it's in your name that we pray beautiful name, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Jehovah Nisi, the banner over us who gives us victory. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides and provides and provides more. 
Jehovah Shalom, the God who is our peace. The Jehovah Sidkenu, the God who is our righteousness. And Jehovah Ori, the God who is our shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.